Did you know that God loves you? God loves you. Not in a, in a generic kind of greeting card, I have no idea who you are kind of way. Not in some kind of generic way that is for everyone. No, God loves you with all your quirks and idiosyncrasies. He cares about you. He knows your name. He knows the details of your life. The Bible says that before you were ever in your mother's womb, that you were a thought in his mind. Think about that. That, that before time even began, before creation was even called into existence, God had you in mind. And what's amazing to me is that even though there's 7 billion people on the, on the planet today, um, there, there's more people alive today than have ever died in the history of the world. Think about that for a second. That there's never been two people who are the same. Not, not ever two people who are the same. And I'd run out, after I made about 10 people, I'd probably be scratching my head like, I don't know if I could make any more that are different. But, but God's infinite wisdom and infinite power and infinite knowledge, he, he's create every, created everyone unique in their own way. Yet each one, the Bible says, is created in his image, in the image of God. And God for whatever reason, he loves you. And the Bible says that he doesn't love us because of the good in us, that he loves us because of who he is. That he is love itself. So his love for you is not based on who you are, it's based on who he is. His, his love for you is not based on how good you are. It's based on how good he is. So that means even when you fall and fail and sin, that it does not in any way diminish God's love for you in the slightest sense. Because his love is perfect. His love is unconditional. His love is not based on some sort of reward system or a system of um, doing the right things and then he will love you. No, God loves each and every one of you perfectly. Perfectly. And we see that God loves humanity. He, he has this affinity, this tender place in his heart for humanity. It's a love that he has for humanity that is different from the rest of creation. That God loves you in such a way that's different from the love that he has for the animal kingdom. 
that God's love for you is different than the way he loves the trees and the, you know, the, the, the sea creatures and Free Willy and, you know, Shamu and that, that, that God has a love for you that is, is so much greater and so much personal in a, in a personal way. He loves you. And so you can, you can love someone in a generic sense, but then to, to know someone and to then still love them is a very powerful thing. Um, to, to, to continue to love someone with all their faults and all their weaknesses and all their shortcomings is a powerful thing. And that's the love that God has for us. Genesis chapter 1 if you want to go there in your Bibles, it's real easy to find. It's on page one. There's a lot of turning, and I love the sound of the Bibles turning, the pages opening means God's about to speak. Amen. Genesis is the book of beginnings. In Genesis, we see the beginning of creation, the beginning of the universe, the beginning of the world. We see the beginning of humanity. And Genesis chapter 1 tells us the story of God creating the heavens and the earth. The, the very first verse of the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this tells the story of how God called existence into existence, which is insane, is mind-blowing. I can't even call my family to dinner. God can call the universe into existence. There's power in his word, amen. And as creation progresses, in verse 26, God says this. He says, let us make man or mankind in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. How many of you are glad that God created us male and female? Amen. I'm really glad about that. And then God blesses them. You know, you serve a God of blessing. Did you know that? That God's blessing continues to go out can, all the time. We live under his blessing every day. That every breath we take is a blessing from God. Every breath. Every breath. Did, did you know that when you breathe, you're borrowing God's air? He doesn't have to let you use it. The, the, the ground on which you stand, you borrow it from him. 
the chair in which you're sitting, the house in which you live, it all belongs to him. Even your body belongs to him. Your mind belongs to him. Your intellect belongs to him. Your emotions belong to him. Your thoughts belong to him. You know, you could never even think a thought if God had not first thought about you. That every thought you think is only possible because God has given you life. Given you life. You are alive today because of the blessing of God that he has placed on his creation. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. In verse 26, he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. What it means, there's so many different facets and aspects to what it means to be created in the image of God. But, but the first thing you need to know is that you are not like the rest of creation. You as a human being are created in the image of God. The animals are not created in the image of God. The trees, the forests, the rest of creation is not created in God's image, but you are. It means that you you kind of have like God's fingerprint on your life. That he's, he's impressed his image onto you. Now, the Bible tells us that God is spirit, that the Father does not have a body. So it's, it's not that we look like God physically, but it's that we bear the characteristics of God spiritually, intellectually, that we have a, a, a consciousness about us that we are able to think and that we are able to reason. And what it also means is that we're able to enter into relationships with one another, that we are by our nature relational beings. This is why it, one of the greatest punishments that you can, can give someone in uh, prison is to put them into solitary confinement that separated from other interaction with human beings, people go crazy. They, they literally lose their minds. You think it's other people that make you crazy. The truth is they're keeping you sane. You would be crazy without them. That we were designed by God, created in his image, as he is personal, we too are personal. God's not some sort of distant force, vague Star Wars, yin yang kind of thing. No, God is a person. He is a personal God. He has thoughts, he has affections, he has feelings, he has emotions. He is a personal God and we too are personal and we too are relational as he is relational. Now to be created in the image of God and to have dominion, ultimately what this means is that humanity was designed by God to show forth his nature 
and his character and his attributes and to rule the earth under his authority. That's ultimately what it means to be created in the image of God. But for us to be able to do that, to to accomplish that task, to, to have dominion and to rule the earth, his creation, we have to be able to relate to him in order to be able to do that well. Does this make sense? So part of your created purpose is to have a relationship with God, designed by God himself to to relate to him in a personal way. No other life form of creation can do that. There's no other way for... Uh, the, uh, the lower creation to, to relate to God in a personal way, yet we not only can do it, it is part of how God made us. And so we will never fulfill, you will never fulfill your purpose on the earth separated from a relationship with your creator. It's the only way you can have fulfillment in life. It's the only way that you can uh, truly walk in the divine calling and destiny on your life is in relationship with God. What this means, that people are created in God's image, it means that every person has dignity, has value, and worth. Every person, young and old, because life is a gift from God. It means even if you are not contributing to society in any productive way, that because you are a human being, you have dignity, value, and worth declared by God. So there are people whom societies through the ages have deemed of little value. And it does not matter what people say about how much value another human life has. What only matters is what God says. So whether you are like my own children who contribute nothing to the world at this point, and probably will not for another decade, or you're an elderly aged person who can only survive by being hooked up to machines, the Bible says that you have value and worth because life is precious and life is sacred because it is a gift from God. This also applies to those who are alive but not yet born. The unborn have dignity, value, and worth. And in God's eyes are human beings. Though they have not developed, 
as much as you and I have. Nevertheless, they are his image bearers. Nevertheless, they should be protected. Amen. Amen. I should have brought notes this morning. So, according to the Bible, abortion is murder. Now, I know that in this room, or in a room this size, there will be women who have had an abortion. This is not a message against you. We're not attacking anyone. We believe that there is healing for you in Christ, that God in Christ paid the price for all sin. But to take a human life unjustly is murder is wrong and is evil and it, it's it's very clear from from science that what is inside the womb of a mother is a living human being that that it is separate from the mother scientifically it is not part of the mother it is a separate entity who is dependent upon the mother, much in the same way as a born child is also dependent upon a mother and father to take care of it. So dependence upon someone for survival does not grant personhood. Personhood is, is independence of dependence. And so... We, as God's people, firmly believe that to take the life of the unborn is to commit a sin against God and that child. Our church believes this without any question, without any exception, because we believe that life is a gift from God that we are not the ones who create life, that God is the one who creates life. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 1, that John the Baptist was filled with God's Spirit inside his mother's womb. Think about that for a minute. How can something that's not alive and not a person be filled with God's spirit. The psalmist David writes, he says, that you knit me together in my mother's womb. That it's, it's God who actually puts you together in your mother's womb. And so to, to short circuit that and, and, and to, to terminate what God has started is to take life unjustly and is wrong and is evil. 
And again, I want to underscore that there is forgiveness and there is redemption and that there is grace and that there is mercy for all at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. So now I'm going to get back onto uh, where I thought I was going a few minutes ago. God creates humanity, image of God. Later on in, in the second chapter of Genesis, uh, there, there's a, a, a secondary account of how God created mankind and how it was different from how he created the rest of creation. Verse 7, it says, the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground. So God forms Adam, and Adam is standing there lifeless, like an empty shell, kind of like those blue jeans that they're freezing up north. You know how they're putting them out in the snow. Adam's kind of standing there like a, a, a dust clay creation, frozen, cannot move. And then God breathes into his nostrils the breath of life and then the man became a living creature think about how close you have to be to someone to breathe into their nostrils the, the picture I see here is God coming and giving Adam CPR breathing into him the breath of life and the moment Adam opens his eyes the first time, he is in the presence of God. He comes alive in the presence of God. He comes alive face to face, if you will, with God, with his creator. And, and this is how humanity and divinity are, are designed to live and to function and to operate face to face relationship with God. In, in communion, in in, in uh, community, in relationship, in intimacy. It says in verse 8 that God planted a garden in Eden and he put the man who he had formed and he put him there to, to work the ground and to, to do what he had commanded him to do. God gives Adam some instruction on how to live and how to operate and how to function in his creation, to, to live under God's rule and, and to live under God's blessing. And, and the instructions God gave to Adam were for Adam's good, amen? amen? It was to protect him from evil, to protect him from sin, to protect him from rebellion, to protect him from death. God ends up creating Eve as well. And together, they walk with the Lord. In verse 24, God says, A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And verse 25 tells us that the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That there was this, this beautiful picture of humanity living in this garden, living in God's presence, living under God's provision, living under God's rule, living with God's blessing, and, and being in relationship with man and wife in perfect harmony, in perfect unity, to, to walk totally exposed to one another with no shame, 
with no fear, with no guilt. We all know the, the dark side of relationships, of, of opening your life and opening your heart and, and, and opening yourself to another person and to then have that person betray you. We've all experienced that in life in one way, shape, or form. And so it causes us to, to not live fully exposed to one another because of fear, because of shame, because of hurts. And so we all kind of protect ourselves with these walls and these barriers and, and socially constructed things to, to keep ourselves safe from one another. But this was not Adam and Eve. They didn't know any of that. Could you, we, we can't even imagine what that would be like to, to live in perfect harmony, perfect unity with, with one another and with God daily, all the time, 24-7. But this is how you were meant to, to relate to God. This is how you were designed to know God. To, to live in his presence, to walk in his blessing. As we get to Genesis chapter three, we see that Adam and Eve decide that they'd rather listen to the devil than to God. Bad idea. They thought Satan was a good theologian, that he had come up with some good doctrine, and so they decide, we're not gonna listen to God, we're not gonna listen to his one rule. It wasn't complicated. One rule. They couldn't even keep one rule. They go their own way. They rebel against God. They walk away from God. They turn away from him. They enter into sin. Humanity comes under the power of darkness. All of creation is under a curse now, even today, because of the sin of humanity. And this could be the end of the story. It could be humanity progressing in sin and death and in darkness. As you watch the story unfold, Adam and Eve's first children, brothers, the older brother murders the younger brother. Humanity doesn't even make it out of the first generation born before we're taking each other's lives. Yet God loves you. Even though Adam and Eve had sinned, even though Cain and Abel had sinned, even though all of humanity has sinned and walked away from God, God still loves you. And so what God does and what the rest of this story is all about, this book is about God pursuing relationship with his fallen people. It, it, wow, the time's really going by today. God calls a man named Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm gonna use you to be a blessing to all of creation. Through your family, through your descendants, all of creation will be blessed. All the nations of the world will be blessed. Abraham's family becomes the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel, God calls them to himself. He makes a covenant with them through a man named Moses. 
at a place called Mount Sinai. It's where the Ten Commandments came from. How many of you have seen that movie with Charlton Heston, right? Not that many of you. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> at, at, my grandparents were very much against television. And later in their lives, they got a, like a 14-inch TV slash VCR combo. And the only thing they had to watch at their house was a bootleg copy of the Ten Commandments <laughs> recorded off of like an antenna. So it had all the commercials in it as well. So the only thing we could watch when we went over to Grandma and Grandpa's was this horrible bootleg copy of the Ten Commandments. So I know the, the story well. Anyway, um, none of you do, which it doesn't matter. God meets with his nation at Mount Sinai. And God says, I want this whole nation to be priests unto me, to be a priesthood unto me. What this meant was that Israel was to be God's ambassadors to the nations of the world. That, that Israel was to uh, sh be the image bearers of God, again, to creation, so that creation, all of the nations of the world, could enter into a right relationship with God. Israel rejects God at Mount Sinai. They say, we don't want to be your priests. Make Moses your priest. And so God comes up with this system called the sacrificial system for his presence once again to dwell in the midst of his people. And so they set up this tabernacle. It was a series of, it was a progression of, of uh, this tent that housed the presence of God on the earth, and at the front of it was this altar that had to be, there had to be sacrifices on it to atone for sin. And there was this progression that the priests could make of, of making a sacrifice to atone for their sin, of coming into uh, the presence of God in, in this tent, in this tabernacle, where God's presence was. And, and in this place of God's presence, there, there was... Uh, things that represented the word of God and the presence of God. And, and then once a year, there was this third room called the Holy of Holies. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was. This were, was where God's presence dwelled on the earth. One person, once a year, could go into that Holy of Holy place and meet with God. But the idea was that God wanted his presence to be in the midst of his people. The, the picture that we see in the garden of what was lost because of sin, ever since that moment, God has been working to restore that in the lives of humanity. Amen. And so we see here in the, the tabernacle, God's presence dwelling there. In, in Israel, they got established in their own land of, of a permanent home. In the, the city of Jerusalem, they built a temple to God. And uh, in Psalm chapter 33, it, it tells a story of when Solomon dedicated that temple to the Lord. No, it's not Psalm 33. Anyway... One of the Psalms and the rest of uh, in Kings and Chronicles, it talks about how 
Solomon dedicated the temple to the Lord, and at that dedication, that fire fell from heaven, and the presence of God entered into the Holy of Holies. And, and what all of this represents is God has been working to restore what was lost in relation to him in the garden. And so the, the tabernacle was one way. The temple was another way. The problem was the temple was destroyed because Israel refused to live under God's rule. That the same problem that got Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden, got Adam and Eve kicked out of God's presence, that same problem of sin was still alive in the nation of Israel, and it got them kicked out of their own land. The temple was destroyed. And then along came, comes this, this rabbi, this teacher, this prophet from Nazareth named Jesus. And he starts saying things like, if you destroy this temple that had been rebuilt, if you destroy this temple, I'll rebuild it in 30 days. Three days. And they say, how can you rebuild the temple in three days? It's taken 47 years to build it. And Jesus is saying, I'm speaking about the temple of my body. Jesus comes and he himself becomes the temple. He himself becomes the place where divinity and humanity meet. Jesus is the one who is fully God and fully man. And so uh, the, the Colossians actually tells us, Colossians chapter 2.17 says that, that, the, the, that the tabernacle and the, and the temple in the Old Testament, they, they were just a picture of what Christ would be. They were signposts meant to point us to the one who is the temple, who, the one who is where, where sinners meet God. It is Jesus Christ. Paul says that there's only one mediator between God and man. It is the man, Jesus Christ. That, that we now, because of Christ's work, his sacrifice on the cross, his, his sinless life, that we, we enter into that fellowship with God through his sacrifice. And it's a once and for all sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice that wears out. It's not a sacrifice that is only good for a year. It's a sacrifice that covers the sin of humanity for all time, past, present, and future. Amen. And so the, 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 the idea is that God wants to be with his people, that God loves you. He wants you to have access to his presence. Sin is the problem. Jesus dealt with the problem. But he himself is, he is our temple. It, it, the temple was destroyed. There, there's no other place that we go to meet with God. We go to a person, Jesus Christ, the mediator between God and man. Jesus himself on the cross, hanging, dying for the sins of the world, hangs elevated, exalted between the two worlds. He hangs connecting 
bridging the gap between earth and heaven. In his body, he bears our sins on the cross. In his body, he pays the price and the penalty for sin. And then he, as our great high priest, he ushers us in past the altar of sacrifice, past the place of just friendship and fellowship, and into the holy of holies, into the most intimate place with God the Father that you and I and every single one of us was designed by God to have access to. Every moment of every day. And so now, where, what it, where does humanity and divinity, where do they come together? They come together in Christ. And so the apostles, they sit down and they write letters and Paul will write things like, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That now you, because God has given you his spirit, that now you are this, this walking temple wherever you go? So Paul says, hey, be careful what you put into God's temple. Be careful what you eat. Be careful what you watch. Be careful what you listen to. You don't want the temple full of garbage. God's spirit wants to come and to dwell. But also, when Paul writes, he says, your body, don't you know that you are the temple? That word is, is the plural of you. So if you read it in the King James Bible, it'll say, don't you know that ye, which is the plural, which is to say that when we come together, as the church, that we are the place where God's spirit dwells. That when we come together, we right here, right now, are the place where divinity and humanity come together. That as we come together to worship God, to sing his praises, that his presence is here in our midst. That same presence that that brings healing, that brings provision, that, that breaks down barriers, that, that allows people to enter into relationships and to not have fear and to not be ashamed. It's right here with us when we come together. God's spirit is here. When you get all the way in to the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, the picture that John sees of the return of Christ when Jesus returns, what he sees is not us going up into heaven. What he sees is heaven coming down here to earth. He sees it in the form of a new city, a new Jerusalem, that heaven comes to a new earth. And it says that there's no temple in this city because Jesus Christ is the temple and that his presence fills the whole earth. Amen. The, John actually gets measurements for this new city. And as, as he measures it out, it's a perfect cube, just as the Holy of Holies was in the tabernacle, just as the Holy of Holies was in the temple, and just as it will be, not that it's gonna be a cube, but that God's presence will fill the whole earth and we're all invited, we're all ushered in. Jesus is taking us all into that place 
to have relationship with God, intimacy with the Father, sins forgiven, dressed in white, pure as snow, singing his praises, working under his rule, living in his blessing, that that will finally, ultimately be the place where divinity and humanity meet. And until he returns, this is a taste of that. When we come together as the body of Christ, forgiven, redeemed, restored, washed clean, new creation, old life of sin and shame, dead, buried with Christ, we've been risen to new life in Christ, we come and we experience the presence of God, the life-giving spirit of God. Amen. Amen. And so that being said, I think church attendance is very important. I think that being here on Sunday morning is the one thing that should be the, the, the number one priority in your life. That, that there, is, there is a spiritual life to be received that is given as we come together as God's people. That you need that you need. And I don't know if it comes across the live stream that way. I don't know if it comes across the recording that way. It doesn't for me, I have to be here. There's something about being here where God's presence is, is here in this place. Now we have access to God's presence all the time. You can have it in the car, in the elevator, at the doctor's office, because we are the temple. But when we come together, man, there's something powerful that happens. Yeah.